uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 3, what was read a little earlier, so if you have a Bible, you can open that, and then Matthew 16 as well, and we're in a series working our way this year through the, the gospel of Matthew, and uh, we're talking about Matthew chapter 3, and what we've been calling the series is an awake life, and what I want to talk to you about this morning is um, the difference that it makes when you know who you are. That's what we've been talking about is your identity. And the metaphor we've been working with is that you uh, are either awake or asleep, right? When you're asleep, you're not aware, and you're at the mercy of your dreams and your nightmares. I had a nightmare growing up as a kid. It still comes back to me uh, from time to time. We lived, uh, when I was really small, in Africa, and um, in what's now Zimbabwe, it was called Rhodesia then, in Harare, Zimbabwe, and we lived in this home, and, and outside uh, in the yard was this big brick wall. I, I'm sure if I went to it today, it's probably three feet tall. To me, as a, a three or four-year-old, it looked like, you know, 40 feet tall, and in my dream, uh, this monster was chasing me around and around and around that wall. Have you ever had a dream like that? And it would come back to me in my childhood, even sometimes today. I'll, I, I think where it came from is, you know, the story where the wild things are? I think it's one of those monsters, and I read it, and I somehow, you know how kids do that? Uh, but I had this, you know, I was at the mercy, because I was asleep, of my nightmares and my dreams. That's what happens when you're asleep. And at the same time, you have, when you're asleep, you have no impact on the world uh, around you. Everything passes you by. Have you ever been to one of those uh, drawings at, you know, an event or something like that, and, and at the bottom of when you fill out your name, to be in the drawing, they'll, it'll say something like, must be present to win. You know what I'm talking about? And because if, in other words, if, if they call, and I've been, uh, I've sat through those things, and you know, Joe Smith, Joe, Joe, and Joe's gone. Joe didn't win because Joe wasn't present. Well, life's like that. You must be present to win. <laughs> and when you're asleep, you're not present, right? You have no opportunity to impact the world around you. So it's a great, it's a great as- assessment for your life. Are you asleep? Or are you awake? Are you fundamentally at the mercy of your dreams and nightmares? Or or do you have an impact on the world around you? I want to talk to you about that this morning. The difference that knowing who you are makes in understanding uh, understanding who you are and how that impacts the world around you. Now, I want to give you, make sure you understand, and I'll do this regularly through the year, you get the bigger picture of what we're trying to do here. We're talking uh, all the way through 2016. uh, We're learning together how to follow Jesus and here's, here's why this is important. It's the irreplaceable task of the church to teach people how to follow Jesus. That's why the church exists. Um, what, what, we're, what we're all about is trying to help be, people become Christ-like. Now, I don't mean become Christ. I don't mean become perfect. I mean people become uh, more and more able to respond to the circumstances of their life and the situations of the world around them like Jesus would. That's what we're trying to, when we say be Christ-like, that's what we're talking about. So the word we use is make disciples, and we want to be a church that makes disciples who make disciples. Now what we're talking about is doing the things that Jesus would do here in northwest Indiana and around the world. We want to create people that are regularly doing that, and, and frankly, nothing else matters. Now if you've been around, you've heard us talk about how we want to, you know, we want to impact one or two percent of our one or two counties. Uh, but the number is not the issue. That's, we just want to dream big. We don't want to be dream small. The, the issue is people learning to follow Jesus. 
So it, it's the end of everything that we do around here. Like, so when you get it, when you come into this room, we want to have an inspiring gathering, and we want it to be literally, that word inspire means to put the spirit in. So we want the spirit of God to be present to you. God, we want you to be aware of that, but we want to inspire you to follow Jesus. That's why we do this every week. Uh, when, we, when we serve, when we do things like the back-to-school fair or when we do the Christmas offering or when we, we say, you can, you're it, you know, you can do something in your neighborhood and you can make a difference in your school, what we're saying is, listen, that's what things that Jesus does, so we want you to do that. When, when we invest in our kids and we invest in our students and we want to have an engaging kids and student ministry that equips families to make disciples of their own kids and empower you to raise your kids and do a great job. In fact, um, in April, uh, April 8th and 9th, I think it is, if I have my dates right, we're going to have a seminar. One of, my, one, of, one of the people on my list of the best people I know and probably the best dad that I know, he's an, an amazing guy, his name's Tracy Spar. he's going to be here, and we're going to have a parent skill builder weekend. I'm going to be on the front row taking notes because I need a lot of help. And, and um, you're gonna, I want to invite you to be a part of that. But we wanna, we wanna help. the reason we want to do that is we want to help you Make disciples of your kids because we have a value around here that it's Christ before Christianity. Following Jesus is more important than belonging to an institution. And, if, and here's, here's the thing. If we don't do this, if we don't help people learn to follow Jesus, then what happens is the reason for the church's existence ceases to exist. Like that's the whole ball game. And so what we're doing over the course of 2016 is we're using Matthew's manual, his gospel, for following Jesus, and um, he, what he's done for us is he's laid out a path for how you can follow Jesus, and so in 2016, we're walking down that path. Does that make sense? Just want to make sure you have the, the big picture, and we're going to learn together, and what Matthew offers us is this insight we've been spending time on for the last few weeks, and we're ending, ending it today. Next week, we're going to move on to chapter four, where Jesus is tempted, and if you have ever been tempted, didn't know what to do with temptation, don't know what to do when temptation comes. This is a, a, a great series for you. We're going to talk about that. But what, where Matthew starts is he says, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to start with who God says that you are. This is the, the foundational thing. Jesus, his identity is our identity. You're, if you're here last week, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're loved. God's pleased with you. Here's what, I, here's what I'm trying to get across. God is your creator. He created you. So in other words, the person whose opinion matters the most has the highest opinion of you. So adopt his opinion of you and not your own or someone else's. That's, that's the whole thing about this. And so when you get that, it's supposed to change you. Because well, here's what we do, right? We run around looking, we have the opinion of the person who matters the most, who has the highest opinion of us, and we run around to other people looking for affirmation, don't we? Like we want this, we want our boss to say the right thing, or we want our spouse or our girlfriend or our boyfriend, we want them to affirm us, and, and we're, we're embarrassed uh, for people to not know, uh, you know, what we're, what we're like. I, I, um, <clears throat> I go to the gym and I work out. Two years ago, I herniated a disc in my back. I, I was told that I have degenerative disc disease. Thanks, Dad. Um, <clears throat> he watches this video. Um, and uh, I was told that, and I said, I ran, I was running, and he said, the doctor said, you should never run again. Well, um, that, that's not good. I like to be active, and so I've been able to go into the gym and work out, and I go several uh, times a week, and one of those days is leg day. Like, if you work out, you know what I'm talking about. You work on just your legs, and you can't walk for three days after, and it's just great. And uh, because of my, di my, my disc disease, I, uh, I go in, and I can't lift heavy weight. I, I literally can, can 
curl more weight than I can lift with my legs just for fear of hurting my back. So every time I go there, there's this thing called a squat rack, and I go in there, and, and the, the big, if you've seen those big barbells, they weigh 45 pounds, and I put a 10-pound weight and another 10-pound weight. I got 65 pounds. Look out! And then, I, I, in fact, I was in there the other day, and I'm doing that, and the guy next to me, has, uh, he's basically uh, squatting about 250 pounds, and he's smaller than me. And every time I go in there and I put those things on, I want to make this announcement because I want everyone to affirm that I'm not a wuss, right? <laughs> Listen, I got a back thing. I promise. I really can live more than that, right? Because I want, I want, like you, I want people to affirm me, right? I want sometimes the wrong people's opinion to matter. But what Matthew is saying is, listen, the person who matters the most has the highest possible opinion of you. And this is, this is foundational for everything Matthew says, that we need to learn to follow Jesus. So today, what's the difference that it makes to know who you are? Now, you need to understand that your relationship with God is not just for you. See, many of us, we, we get into a mess, and so we want God in our life. And so what happens is we get God in our life, but really, God's in our life. We're not, we haven't given our life to God and so God's part of our personal improvement plan. And that's not a bad place to start. That's a, that's in fact, that's a, a place many of us start. But some people, uh, they've been around the church for a long time, and they've heard lots of sermons like this, and they've read the Bible, and they kind of get the sense that, you know, well, I kind of heard it all. And, and they forget that this is meant to be passed on, not, not the, the message, but the life. That their life is meant to be passed on to someone else. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, if you're in that spot and you feel like, you know, I've kind of heard it all, listen, the reason you've stagnated and you're not growing is you're not passing it on to anyone else. You're not passing your life on to someone else. If you understand that you're always meant, we're always meant to, share, to pass our faith along to the next generation and invest in someone and help them learn to do it, you'll never stop growing, ever, because you'll never have enough information. You'll always be like, okay, i got to work on this, and God's got to help me with that. In fact, uh, there's a famous phrase, I actually heard it, in the office of a sales executive when I worked at a place for a couple years when I was in seminary, he said, hey, did you know, and, and not a Christian guy, he said, do you know there are two seas in Galilee? I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, in, in, and I thought he was meaning the word. I'm like, you don't know how to spell? He said, no, no, in, in Galilee, the region where Jesus lived, there were two seas. There's the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. Do you know why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea? Water flows into the Dead Sea but does not flow out. Nothing is alive in the dead. You can go to the Dead Sea and you can float. There's so much salt. Goes in, nothing goes out. So, but in the Sea of Galilee, water comes in and water goes out. See, many people, when they have a relationship, they think their relationship with God is just about them and God. You're like, I love God, God loves me. No, no, but if it doesn't, tra- if th- this horizontal relationship doesn't translate into the vertical relationship of loving the people around you and serving the world around you and investing in the people around you, then you've missed the point. You've, missed, you've, you've mistaken a relationship just between God for what God wants to do through you. So you have to know who you are. This right, The love of God comes in, but then the love of God is meant to flow back out to other people. And you serve the world. And you express that by loving people and serving the world. I'll say it to you like this. A dearly loved son or daughter of their heavenly father possesses inner strength, what we talked about last week, that always results in outer impact. Let me say that to you again. A dearly loved son or daughter of their heavenly father, if you were here last week and you're like, yes, I want that to be true of me, possesses inner strength, you do, that always results 
in outer impact. Now, this is what Jesus modeled. Read, I, I, Aaron read the passage of Scripture in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, which means to you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, is you have the authority to do all the things that I say that you can. You have the authority now to have impact on people. Now, so he uses this language we're really not familiar with. He talks about binding and loosing. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is referring to the, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis would stand and they would read the Old Testament, the, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the, the Old Testament. They read the prophets, the Psalms, and then they would interpret for people. They would tell them what's binding on them. You need to do this, and you need to make sure you uh, follow through on that, and you, they would loose them. You don't have to do that. You don't have to bother with that. In other words, uh, they had the seat of authority. And so Jesus is saying, you then have the seat of authority, and he uses this image we're way more familiar with. He says the keys, right? He's given you the keys to the kingdom. What are, what are keys? Keys are about access and authority, right? If I give you the keys to my house, what do you have? You have access to my house? You have a, and if you wanted, you have authority over the things in my house. You could, I could go somewhere, and you could come take them all. Well, you know, not worth anything, but go ahead. <laughs> I, I still remember, and I, I, I'm not there yet as a parent, but I still remember the day my dad took the keys to our car and said, Here, son drive this. Just before my mom died, I turned 16, and I got my driver's license, and I, uh, this was a goal of mine, and I, I remember taking the keys and taking my mom sitting in the car and driving her around the neighborhood and her being terrified. Slow down, son. Slow down. Slow down. But I had the keys. See, I had the keys, which meant I had the access and the authority to operate the thing that was entrusted to me. So here's what Jesus is saying. You have the keys of God's kingdom. You have, you have the access and the authority to impact the people around you. So I want to give you uh, three ways that Jesus' inner strength resulted in outer impact. And because it's true of Jesus, remember the exchange that gets made with us in Jesus? That means it's also true of you. Okay? Three, three things. Two, three, whatever it is. Here's the first thing, okay? Uh, one is that you would turn hearts. The Gospel of Luke, uh, when Luke records the life of Jesus, he starts out and he says uh, about Jesus that Jesus will go, in, he says, in the spirit of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to wisdom. And what, what, what Luke's doing is he's talking about the prophet Elijah, who was probably the most famous uh, Jewish prophet and Jesus on the cross, some people said, Are you, I think maybe this is Elijah that's come back. I don't, I don't, there was this, this idea that, uh, that Jesus was like Elijah. And that the prophet Elijah came to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. In other words, to change how relationships work and to turn the disobedient to wisdom. In other words, people that are foolish help them become wise, make better decisions. Now, the word, the word turn means to turn it back to its original intent. So we go through life, right, and it does things to our heart. We have broken hearts, we have jacked up hearts, we have angry hearts, we have lonely hearts, we have sad hearts, we have hurting hearts. That, that life does that to everyone you know and you. And what Jesus did is he was able to turn people's hearts back to their original intent and, and 
help them get back to what God always meant for them to be. I'll give you two examples from the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 8, there's this scene um, where Jesus uh, is walking along, and this leprous, this man with leprosy, now leprosy was a, a skin disease in, uh, in the Bible, still a disease today, uh, and it covered a big range of just kind of nasty skin diseases. And if you were a leper in that day, what happened was uh, you were considered religiously unclean. And so if you were a Jewish person, you were sent away from your family, so away from any connection, away from any love, away from any affirmation. And you were sent to this colony of people who were like you. And if it got really bad, you had to walk around. And so that people would not accidentally touch you, you had to shout out in front of you, unclean, unclean, so that everyone could know, ooh, get out of the way of that guy. And there's this scene in Matthew chapter 8 where this guy with leprosy comes up to Jesus. Now, you've got to get the tenderness of this, okay? He comes up to Jesus and he kneels down. Can you imagine what it would be like to be cut off from everyone that you love and be considered a complete and total outsider and outcast? Can you imagine what that would feel like? And that you can no longer have someone hold your hand or put their arm around you or give you a hug? I just, I'll just tell you, there are some people sitting here who feel that way. Oftentimes, people who live alone and are single, just, that's why we like to hug and shake hands around here, because just, we just need that. But you just imagine what that's like, and this guy comes up to Jesus, and he kneels down, and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus understands that this guy's heart is completely broken and cut off from everything that matters. And he says, I'm willing. He reaches out, and he touches him, and he makes him clean. What is he doing? He's restoring him to his family. He's turning his heart back to his family. Um, we'll look at it starting on Easter Sunday, but the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' probably most famous sermon, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, what he was talking to, is he was talking to the religious people who thought they were in, and the non-religious people who thought they were out, and he was saying, you both have your categories all wrong, and it's all messed up, and, and you've alienated people from God, and I'm going to tell you that the kingdom of God is available to everyone, and everyone can live a blessed life. He was, what he was doing was he was turning people's hearts back. And then, in fact, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out, and he tells them to do the same thing. He says, now listen, Matthew 10, 10 7, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. What, what, what the word preach means to try and persuade or, or to tell people something so that they can actually hear it and do something about it. And he sends his disciples out. Now, you're his disciple if you've decided to be. So are, if that... He did that with his disciples. Is Jesus saying that you have to be a preacher? No, he's not saying you have to be a preacher. What he's saying is that you have to become a persuader. You have to be someone who wants to, when, in, in every interaction, wants to turn hearts. I will tell you, when I'm talking to you, when I'm talking to anyone, I have an ulterior motive. Do you know what my ulterior motive always is? I want to I turn your heart and my heart back to God. I don't always do that perfectly, but I always have that operating as the undercurrent of what I'm doing. So if you think that I have an ulterior motive, you're right. I do. That's it. And, and here's, what I'm, uh, here's what I'm trying to say. If you follow Jesus, then that is meant to be your ulterior motive for every interaction that you have. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He since, says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the persuasion business. Now, you might go, well, that doesn't, I mean, I don't like that. I mean, that seems manipulative, or that seems like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to force someone to change their mind. And just think about this for a second. We actually all do this all the time. 
Everyone you know thinks that they are right and that if everyone around them would just do what they do, every life would be better, right? We're all in some way, shape, form, or fashion trying to persuade the people around us. I'm saying, let's just admit that. And then let's replace whatever motives might not be so good with God's motives for things that you would try to persuade people and you would try to change people's hearts, right? Jesus was a heart turner. Now, what a fantastic thing that would be if when you die, they put on your tombstone, he was a heart turner. She turned people's hearts. And 150 years from now, someone will walk through that cemetery, cemetery and they'll look at your name with the day you were born and the dash and the day you died, and they'll see this phrase under there. She turned people's hearts. And if you've ever done this in a cemetery, maybe it sounds morbid to you. I spend time in cemeteries uh, on a regular basis as a pastor. You would stop. That person in 150 years would stop and go, wow, what does it mean to turn someone's heart? I wonder why. So if you're, that's what Jesus did. He turned hearts. See, you're, that's part of the impact you're meant to have is that you turn people's hearts when you're with them. Here's the second thing, is that you would overcome fear. We have a, a, an app that you can, we have a couple apps that you can download. Um, one will get you connected to our, our database and information, and you can give on it. And then there's a, another app that tells you, you can watch the sermons on it, you can read the Bible passage on it. Then there's another app that we have, um, and there's always a slide at the beginning of the service that tells you what it is, that you can download that helps you to read the Bible. And when you download that app, you take a little, um, kind of short little quiz, and the little quiz basically customizes the kinds of scriptures that you get. Some of you use that. I, I get that app and really like it. And what happens is when you do that, you take that little test, it kind of says, what are the things that you struggle with? And then every so often, um, we get a report on the things that people are kind of wrestling with. And do you know every single, every time that report comes out, you know the number one thing that people are struggling with, not just our church, because we also get a report from all of the churches that are using this app, and it's always at the top. Do you know what it is? Fear. Every time, without question. Uh, I, you probably have heard me say this, but there's, uh, the Bible says 365 times, there's some version of the phrase, do not fear, do not be afraid, don't be afraid. Like one for every day of the, of the year, right? Like we know, God knows we're going to be afraid every day, so don't be afraid today. When you get up tomorrow, you'll be afraid. Don't be afraid tomorrow. But here's the thing. Fear is the enemy of knowing who you are and having any impact on the world. See, it cuts you off. Because what happens is you're too afraid that you can't make a difference, and you're too afraid that it's not true that you're the, you're the son that your father always wanted, that he loves you and he's pleased with you. You're afraid. You're afraid I'm not getting it right. I'm screwing it up again. I was listening to a, a, a podcast, not a Christian guy, the, uh, but was interviewing a Jamie Foxx. You know Jamie Foxx, the entertainer? Really successful. And they got to talking about fear, and Jamie Foxx, I, I think, I don't know if he's a follower of Jesus. He at least grew up as a kid in, in church around kind of God's things. And this was so interesting to me. He said, you know what? I teach my kids something about fear. So what, the host said, well, what do, you, what do you teach them about fear? He said, I teach them that they need to learn that on the other side of their fear is nothing. Wow. He said, because it's not. He said, and he quoted this, I've heard it a hundred times from different people, fear is false evidence appearing real. <laughs> and he said, I teach my kids, there's nothing on the other side of your fear. It's just a fear, and you can get past it, and you can move on. See, here's, here's what most of us are afraid of, not all of us, 
But most of us are afraid of other people's opinions. Now, you may say, I'm not afraid of other people's opinions. I'm going to say, yes, you are. I'll give you an example. Uh, Think about how you dress. Think about why you choose the pair of pants that you chose. Maybe it's just because they fit. I I mean, I get that, right? But why you choose that kind. And when you go to the store, you always get that kind. And you always get that kind of shirt. And you buy those kinds of shoes. And you do your hair a certain way. Do you know why? At some point, somewhere, someone said to you or communicated to you or conveyed the message to you that if you wanted to be accepted and affirmed, you would look like that, not like someone else. Yeah? If you just spend a minute thinking about it later today, and you're going to go, oh. Because that's you're afraid you won't fit in. Now, when I was growing up, when you went to church, uh, you dressed up. You you put on your best. You put on your Sunday best, and and, uh, preachers would preach about, you know, putting on your best for the Lord, and and um, that's just, I, was, I, was, I grew up with that. Well, the first place I was on staff, I told you a story about that last week. Uh, um, I went there, and I was, one day, I, every staff person had to go to the hospital and visit the people who were in the hospital. And I walked in, kind of dressed sort of kind of like this, you know, back in the 90s, though, with a mullet. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, I, and he, the, the guy, he looks at me, and he says, you make sure when you go to the hospital, you look like a pastor, by which he meant you put on a suit. And so I, uh, I'm very self, I don't know how to say, I'm very self-conscious that I don't look like, I don't want to look like somebody that can be pegged as a pastor. Well, pastors look like that, and I don't want to be pegged like, why? You know why? Because I don't want that opinion of me. I'm like you. I have that same thing. I have that same deal going on in my own head. Like, I don't, I don't want to look like that. I want to look like this. We, we, we all have fears of some kind, but here's how Jesus said it. In Matthew 10, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body or judge the body or look at the body or say it ought to look different, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, what's he saying? When you're thinking about what fear to allow in your life and and motivate you and move you, keep in mind whose opinion matters the most. The person whose opinion matters the most has the highest opinion of you. And so what happened is Jesus overcame fear. I don't don't know what fears Jesus had. We don't have a record of that. We just have the record that Jesus never let fear define what he did and didn't do. So I take that to mean that you can have plenty of fear. That's not the issue. It's what you do with the fear, whether or not you let it decide what you will or will not do. And so there's this record of Jesus doing all these fearless kinds of things. In chapter 11 of Matthew, he pronounces these woes on all of these cities. And if you heard the the very first week of the series, we uh, we talked about Jesus was from the city of Capernaum, and one of the woes he pronounces is on the city that he was raised in and grew up in, and he pronounces this woe on them, like, it'd be like where you grew up, and you say, whoa, Portage, you suck, right? It'd be like that. Who does that, right? A person with no fear, who's not defined by fear, does that, and says, this is, you got to there's another time when Jesus uh, repeatedly stands up to the religious leaders. Now, these were the people everyone respected and wanted to be like. And he stood up to him. Why? Because he didn't, he didn't let fear define who he was. Uh, he talked to, uh, at, at, in his trial with the, the governor of the region, Pilate, who had the power to kill him. He didn't let fear define what he said. Uh, there's, a, there's an instance in, in Matthew's gospel when his family comes to him and his family thinks that he's out of his mind. And 
what's scarier, honestly, when you grow up than standing up to a family member and saying, taking a stand and going, I'm not going to do that anymore. And he didn't. He didn't let fear define who he was. Only a person who overcomes their fear can do that. See, you can't, not, you can't turn anybody's heart if you're overcome with fear. You simply cannot do it. So I'm, I'm not saying you don't have to have fear. I'm just saying you can overcome the fear and make a difference. So let me give you a, let me give you a so what challenge, right? This week, I'm going to do it too, okay? This week, share your faith with someone. Do something tangible. Uh, help them with something. And, and instead of, this is what some of us do, is we'll do something really nice for people and go, hey, have a great day. And we don't tell them why. So, and then, then take the next step, face down your fear, and tell them why. Do something kind for someone. You help them with someone. Maybe they don't solicit, you know, why'd you do that? But you just say, hey, uh, I just wanted you to know the reason I did this is because I, I just wanted you to know how much God loves you and um, I just wanted to communicate that with my actions. And so have, have a good day. You don't have to fight fear to do that. So why? Good with that? Who? Anybody? Right? Bueller? Hands? Anybody going to do that? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Nobody! <laughs> oh, I'm going pre- to preach the same section again. Let's start over, right? Third thing Jesus does, rescues people. Rescues people. There are three groups of people that Jesus is always going after. Um, uh, They've been referred to as the lost, the least, and the last. And when you read through Matthew's Matthew's gospel, and we'll get there in a few weeks, in chapters 8 and 9, it's uh, the picture of Jesus in action rescuing people. And he's always going after these three groups of people, the the lost, the least, and the last. And in Matthew chapter 8, there's this centurion, in other words, an outsider to faith. A person who's not a Christian, a person who doesn't believe like we believe, a person who doesn't share our values, a person who sees the world differently than you and I do, a person who doesn't have any reverence for God, or a person who, who doesn't really care what your bumper sticker says about how much you love Jesus, a person who did not like us, right? And this 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 outsider to faith comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my, my servant's at home dying. Is there anything you can do? And Jesus says, yes, there is. And the centurion says, well, you know what, Jesus? I, I'm a man with authority, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and I, and, and I say to that one, do it, and he does it. And he said, I understand that if you just speak the word only, my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I have not found faith like this. In other words, he uses an example of someone who's not of a believer at all, and says, there's the best, he says, I have not found anyone with this much faith in all of Israel. In other words, if you want, hey, faithful people who believe all the right things, if you want an example of what a faithful person's like, look at that person who's outside the faith. And Jesus was always spending time with people like that, that we would say, are away from God, who are, in Jesus' words, lost, away from their father, away from home. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 8, then he goes on, and he heals all these these demon-possessed people, and, and uh, we'll talk about the supernatural in, in a few weeks, uh, but th- I would put those people in the category of they're, they're demonically oppressed. We, we would also put them in the category of addiction. Uh, what is addiction other than you're being under the control of some force outside of you? I mean, these are the people who are the least. These are the people who don't deserve our time and don't deserve our energy because they've made dumb choices in their life, and Jesus was never judging people based on the dumb choices they make in their life. He would say, this person has value to God. The least have value to God. They matter to God. They can, God cares about them. 
Um, there's another instance where this paralyzed man uh, is brought to Jesus on a mat. If you were paralyzed in that day, there was no social security. There was no disability. There were no benefits you could draw from the government. Um, you had to rely on the kindness of your family and friends to help you because if you became paralyzed or sick, you just were put on a mat and you had to beg. That was your whole job. You were, uh, you were the last, right? The, the last people anyone would ever consider. And Jesus listens to the man and touch, pays attention to the man and heals the man. He was always rescuing people. He was always looking for people who were uh, the, the lost, the least, and the last. Now, if you're around here all the time, you hear us talk about how we want to reach the 75%, the people who are in those categories. Right? If you've been found, let's go help find some other people. So we, we do things like, you know, we do that back-to-school fair. We'll do it again this year. We did the Christmas offering we just came through. We do other things throughout the year. Um, now, now here's, here's why we do that. This is very important that you get this. What we're trying to do when we do that is model for, for you what you can do where you are. We're not trying to do it for you and say, well, come do this, and then you can feel like you did something for God. We're trying to model for you what you could do somewhere else, and we're putting our collective energies together and money and resources and we're trying to persuade you that you can be someone who rescues people. So i got to ask you a question. Do you see yourself as one of the rescuers in life? Or do you see yourself as one of the victims in life? Or are you the person standing on the edge of life, filming it on your iPhone, and then posting on Facebook and critiquing it? You know, I mean, which, which one of those categories are you in? Jesus rescued people, and you, you and I are called to rescue people. That doesn't mean we have it together. It just means we know we've been rescued, and so we want to go back and rescue someone else. Now, this has been the pattern for Christians always. Followers of Jesus have always done this. This is uh, from the, the second century, one of the early leaders of the Christian church. Um, at Easter time, there was a plague. Not modern medicine. A plague would wipe out a third of a city. And what happened was the people who did not believe in God would basically, and I've read the, the historians talk about it, they would flee the city, and they would basically, if they were family members that were sick or anyone, they would just dump them on the street, and they would flee. And this is what the, this is what the, the, the Christian leader, the bishop, said about, about this. We'll put it on the screen. Most of our brother Christians show unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, and ministering to them in Christ. And listen, and with them departed this life serenely happy. In other words, they knew this was not it. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. I mean, this has always been what Christians have done. We're the, see, when you, when you have inner strength, it always results in outer impact. We follow the guy who, who laid himself willingly on a cross. And what, what, I mean, we think about the cross. What's it, what is that? I mean, what, why did Jesus do it? He did it to turn people's hearts. He had, to overcome people's, he had to overcome his fear to do it. And he did it in order to rescue people, right? That's what the cross is all about. So here's my, here's my, here's my question for you for this week, and then we're going to pray. This week, are you going to help turn people's hearts? Do you see yourself as that person? This week, are you going to say, okay, God, I'm your, I'm your son. You have the highest opinion of me, and it matters the most, and so I don't have to be defined by what I'm afraid of today. You just wake up in the morning and pray that. 
are you, do you, this week, will you repent? Will you change your mind about how you see yourself and say, I'm, I'm part of the rescue team and look around for the people who are the lost and the least and the last and say, I'm going to do something for them. And then let God do that for you. See, see, this is, when you know who you are, when you have inner strength, it always results in outer impact. And that's your calling and mine. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray. Jesus, we're following you. We're following the one who went to the cross. The one, we're following the one who went to the cross to turn people's hearts. We're following the one who overcame his fear. We're following the one who rescued people. And God, we don't want to have a relationship with you that is just for us. Thank you that because we know you, because we know your love, it changes our hearts and gives us peace. It changes our outlook. Thank you for that. We also want to take that then and share that. And so this week, God, remind us every day that we're, you call us to turn people's hearts, to become a heart turner. That, you, that you, have the, you give us the resources to overcome our fear when we're tempted to go into the same pattern out of fear that we can say, no, I can overcome fear. And that, God, that we're part of the rescue team. We're not one of the victims. You rescued us. Thank you. Now let us humbly and gently become part of the rescue team and rescue the lost and the last and the least. We ask for um, this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. We leave you with a blessing, which you'll see people holding their hands out. And uh, I don't have the force. It'd be cool if I did, but uh, I do this. Give you a blessing. You're sent now to love God, the, the God who turned your heart toward him, who overcame his fear on the cross and rescued you. You're sent now to love him and then to love the people that he loves so much in his name and to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See you.